So in a world where there's too much information that is being thrown at you, which what do you listen to and why? Hi, you're listening to a brand new podcast called Spies Like Us. This is a really different podcast and I think you're going to be used to. Uh, to put it mildly, it's kind of like sitting beside three guys in a bar. And we've all been in the same bar and seen the same three guys, but these three guys are different. This is a podcast about national security and public safety around the world. But it is being told from the perspective of three gentlemen who actually worked in national security. And by worked in, I mean like worked at the coal face. People who are practitioners, people who were source handlers. The, the trio of us, and you'll, you'll learn more about us in a, a couple of minutes. Uh, we actually combined have more than 90 years experience in national security here in Canada, both in SIGINT and in human. And the reason why we think this is important is that in, when you're faced with so much information from so many self-styled national security experts, it's often hard to decide who, to whom should I listen and, and whom should I ignore. And we like to think, biased as we are, that we have something to say about national security. And we're going to keep this pretty light and informal, but we're going to talk about some really important issues that affect us not just here in Canada, but around the world. And this is an important conversation to have. Because a lot of people don't really spend a lot of time worrying about national security. It's not a kind of thing that a politician thinks he's going to get votes about if he talks about national security. But for what it's worth, you're going to learn something from us in the next couple of podcasts. This is podcast number one. And we're going to, so we're going to introduce ourselves in a minute or so. And then we're going to talk about sort of the, the, the soup of the day, the soup du jour on a breaking issue here in Canada that involved a trial of somebody who decided that he didn't think he had to abide by the Official Secrets Act, or as it's known, the Security of Information Act, and what we thought of that. So um, by way of introduction, we're going to go youngest to oldest, which I think is okay. We'll leave, we'll leave the old part of the end to, to tell us who he is. But uh, the youngest guy of, the, of our crowd, is his name is Neil Bisson. And uh, Neil, the mic is yours since it's finally working, and you can tell the world who the hell you are and, and, and why you matter. No pressure. No pressure, Phil. So um, I'm really excited to do this podcast with you guys. Like you, like you were saying, Phil, the nice thing about this is that it gives us all a chance to kind of push the agenda that national security and intelligence should be something that should be taken a little bit more seriously, especially in Canada. Um, I started my career with the federal government back in the late 80s as I got hired by uh, Canada Border Service Agency. I worked there up until about 2003. When I threw my hat into the ring with the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, got lucky enough to get a job with them, worked as an intelligence officer from 2000 and sorry, it was 2002, not 2003, 2002 to 2020. And in that time, I worked as an intelligence officer, a recruiter, uh, surveillance. I had an opportunity to do some really exciting things, and I had an opportunity to basically travel to some very exciting parts of the world to try to work to ensure that Canada's national security stayed safe. In 2020, I decided that, well, you know what? I've had an opportunity to work for the federal government for a combined 25 years, so maybe it's time to try something different. So I left the service, and in about uh, two years after that, I started the Global Intelligence Knowledge Network, which is basically an information and entertainment website that provides insights on intelligence from all over the world. And luckily, I stayed in touch with some pretty smart guys like Phil and Al. And uh, yeah, we picked up from there and said, hey, let's throw this together. So that's my story. 
And pretty impressive for young whippersnappers. You know, someone who was, uh, I won't say what year you were born, but I'm think, guessing it's around 1970. But anyhow, you're, you're, you're a young pup. So I'll, I'll go next since I'm the middle guy. So for those who don't recognize the voice, my name is Phil Gursky. I spent 32 years in intelligence in Canada. Started my career with Communication Security Establishment, CEC, which is Canada's SIGIN, or Signals Intelligence Organization. Worked as a multilingual analyst there for 17 and a half years. Worked in about 10 different languages, including Arabic and Farsi. I worked a year as a crypt analyst, actually breaking codes. I'm not going to tell you which one because that would be illegal. Uh, I worked as the head of collection and data flow management at one point. I had a, an amazing time at CSE. But yeah, kind of like Neil, it was you get to a point where it's time for a switch. And in 2001, I decided to go over to CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. So kind of made kind of the same move that Neil did, where I went in originally as an Iranian strategic analyst. But uh, of course, that was the year of 9-11. And because of my Arabic back- language background and my understanding of Middle Eastern culture, history and politics, I morphed into an Islamist terrorism specialist. And that's what I did at CSIS for 15 years. I was work as an analyst along with IOs like Neil and, and like Al working on cases, trying to understand what the intelligence was saying. Uh, asked questions. I met with source. I, I wasn't a source recruiter like Neil and Al, but I definitely met with sources. Actually, helped train some sources. And my job was to to package this thing up for Canadian government consumers so they could understand how CSIS saw the threat to national security. Great job, great people, great organization, great mandate. But uh, all good things must come to an end. So after 32 years, I retired in 2015. Uh, worked a bit for the Ontario Provincial Police's anti-terrorism section as a strategic advisor on terrorism with their investigations. And since 2015, have written seven books, six of them on, on terrorism, been podcasting and blogging, a lot of media. I know Neil's been doing some, a lot of media as well recently. So, uh, yeah, I think that this is, uh, as Neil said, this is a great opportunity to get a, a perspective out there for people in Canada and outside of this country about from people who actually did work in national security. And and, and it, that is an important distinction. This is not to take away from the many people who work in think tanks or in academe who write and, and, and think about terrorism. But there's something unique about actually working, I think, in national security cases, be it counterterrorism or counterintelligence or counter foreign interference, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my background. Now we turn to the old fart. Uh, Al, it's over to you. Well, thanks, Phil. And yeah, this is uh, this is going to be great. Uh, it's uh, it's fantastic to be with you and Neil and uh, sitting here in the bar, as you say. So I <laughs> started my beer my, for Christ's sake. Uh, yeah, who's paying? <laughs> so uh, I started my career in 1980 with the RCMP, uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I went to uh, depot for training, then was transferred into Saskatchewan for my uniform work, yeah, where I was enforcing the laws, basically like the provincial police and municipal police do in all the provinces in Canada, except for Ontario and Quebec, and doing criminal investigations. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak to security service members while I was out there at various times and uh, became interested in the security service. I'd always been interested in counterterrorism issues. So uh, when the opportunity came up, I transferred into my transfer came in just before uh, separation when uh, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service was born. And uh, and that's really where I began my career in the, in, in the intelligence side. And my first part uh, was a posting into counterintelligence in Ottawa, working the Russian and the Soviet satellite target. During the Cold and, War, of course, right? Yes, during the Cold War. That's right. Uh, and then after uh, the Air India bombing, I was transferred into uh, the counterterrorism field operations, uh, both uh, domestic and abroad. Spent uh, quite a number of years in the Toronto Regional Office. 
And then I had a couple of uh, stints uh, in headquarters uh, various times, uh, including uh, in the Secretariat, where I was the uh, uh, responsible for liaison with, at that time, was the Security Intelligence Review Committee and the Inspector yep. General's office. And then back to Toronto uh, in the counterterrorism, ended my career overseas uh, at, uh, at an embassy as a uh, head of station, and uh, then joined BlackBerry on retirement. And for oh, right, uh, yeah. BlackBerry, I uh, was responsible for the strategic, uh, managing the BlackBerry's strategic relationships with law enforcement, security, and intelligence agencies around the globe mainly on uh, lawful access, but any any market access issues that came up that involved uh, law enforcement or, or security. And then after six and a half years, when all the fires were out at BlackBerry, I got bored, started my <laughs> own consulting business in uh, risk. So we do uh, the Atno Group, which is uh, global uh, uh, risk and public safety. So uh, yeah, that's, that's where uh, my background. It's interesting the three of us have kind of followed similar pathways in that after we actually left the security intelligence community itself, we didn't stop doing kind of what we we're doing before and trying to, whether, you know, I have my own Borealis, Neil has Global Intelligence Knowledge Network, you have Atno Group. We're still trying to educate people. We're still trying to help people understand threats to national security. And so, I again, I, I think that that's a really impressive background that we bring to this. And I think we're going to have a lot of great conversations. We're hoping to do this on a regular basis. And the topics will change. They'll try to be as topical as possible, i.e. as recent as possible. They're going to cover all kinds of things. But to start off our conversation, I, I, I want to talk about an event that... So we're recording this on the 9th of February, 2024. And two days ago, on the 7th of February, there was a verdict that was handed down in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, where a, a former RCMP intelligence official named Cameron Ortiz was found guilty. He had been found guilty uh, by trial on a number of charges of leaking secrets to, amongst others, organized crime, some money launders, possibly even some terrorist connections. And he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Now, this is, gets really interesting. So a bit of background on Cameron Ortiz. Um, I couldn't pick him out of a one-person lineup, even though people told me I'd met him. I had no idea who this guy was when he was arrested. But he was apparently the smartest kid in the room. You know, he impressed everybody. He, he could do no wrong. But the other part, That's of so course... Sam Bankman freed yeah, the the other part, of course, is that he thought his shit didn't stink and that the sun shone out of his ass. And I'll, and I'll, I'll leave the fecal uh, analogies right there. But he got caught and he got charged and he was found guilty. And so what happened is this the when he was found guilty, the Crown, which is the prosecution here in Canada, wanted him to get 28 years. That was the recommendation on the Crown side. The defense incredibly wanted him to get time served for having betrayed Canada's secrets and the ruling judge in this case decided to uh, do a very Canadian thing and split the difference. So difference between zero and 28 is 14. So we got 14 years in jail. But uh, this being Canada is that because you do get credit for time served and correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, generally it's a two for one deal. So if you spend a year in prison pre-trial, you get credit for two years. So in actual fact, he will only serve seven years and 155 days. And if he's, you know, on good behavior, it might be less than that. So then here's a guy that was entrusted with uh, some very secret information, very sensitive information. I go back to my indoctrination at CSE way back in the early 80s. And the head of internal security, an ex-RCMP guy, scared the living shit out of me and said, son, you know, I was 22 years old. He said, son, if you decide to not keep our secrets, it's 14 years in jail for you. 
you, I've kept secrets. Uh, Neil, you've done it. Uh, Al, you've done it. Here's a guy that didn't bother to, you know, play by the same or sing from the same song sheet. And a judge decides he's going to get 14 years, which equates to a little more than seven years. So what do we make about this? I mean, first of all, is that fair? Second of all, um, what damage has this done to Canada's reputation, especially amongst our allies? Because he had access to Five Eyes intelligence, right? So he had access to American and British and, and, and Australian New Zealand intelligence, which he may, he may in fact, and probably did, share with people with neither a need to know nor the requisite security clearance. So I want to start with you, Al. Um, what do you think of this sentence of, of 14 years? Is this appropriate in a case like this? Well, I wouldn't say so. I, I think it's pretty light, uh, given the magnitude of the uh, of the breach. Uh, let me just start by saying I've met him, and I didn't find him uh, to be uh, uh, to be very uh, uh, a very remarkable individual. I met him during my time in BlackBerry when BlackBerry uh, was assisting the RCMP in the Phantom Secure investigation. I remember him at a meeting taking notes, but he didn't contribute anything to the meeting. So he wasn't nearly uh, as remarkable as, as Neil and I are then. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Uh, hey, we both yeah, have better he, haircuts, Phil. <laughs> he didn't impress me at all, but uh, he was kind of a non-entity, but he, did, he was taking notes, etc. So, um, and, you know, uh, apart from the criminal investigation, um, BlackBerry's, uh, assistance in the, in the matter, uh, his information could have damaged uh, BlackBerry. So, uh, so I'm not very happy about that, but, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what, in uh, defense of the, of the judge who sentenced him to 14 years, I mean, uh, the crown had to, in, in 2022, they, they dropped four charges under the sections under section 16 of the security of information act. And that's the section that deals with the communications with foreign entities and terrorist organizations. Okay. So when they dropped that, then he's, you know, they went ahead with the, uh, with, I'll call them the lighter charges. And, uh, so the judge, I, I mean, if, if he had been convicted of the other things, then he may have been facing a longer jail sentence. Much so like the judge's Will hands were tied in a certain way there is what you're saying. Well, uh, yeah, I won't say tied, but definitely uh, the judge couldn't take into account those other charges which were dropped. And that okay. just shows the immaturity of our justice system in dealing with national security issues, whether it's counterterrorism or espionage. Which I think is a, is a really big point, right? I mean, trials of this nature are thankfully quite rare in Canada. I worked with two people at CSE who disclosed information on uh, Section 12 and, uh, sorry, Section 16, which is foreign intelligence and other sensitive collection material. And this is under the old Official Secrets Act, which predated the Security of Information Act. And diddly squat was done to them. They weren't even charged because the fear was if you charge them, you go to court, you disclose more than you want to. The cases drop because the defense can't defend their client, blah, 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 blah. So I, I guess, I mean, we did, we did get a conviction under the SOIA, so that's good. So because of SOIA, uh, Mr. Ordis is SOL right now, right? Should have luck. Yeah, yeah that's, um, I agree. But you know what we should have done is taken a look at it and, and manufactured a way of having him prosecuted in the United States. The United States just finished the prosecution of- uh, CIA of, guy. That's right. And he got 40 years. Yeah. Now, can you imagine Ordis going down there and being prosecuted? He yeah. wouldn't have got 14 years. He would have got yeah. 40 years. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you guys mentioned that because I was thinking about that myself and- I think the difference is we're dealing with a couple of different cultures here. You know, yeah. you've got down in the States, they've dealt with the, you know, with the WikiLinks and, you know, yeah. um, 
snowed in and all the other stuff. So it's gotten to the point where they're realizing that, you know, they need to drop the hammer on these guys, especially after what happened with Stoughton. He decides to get on a plane and, and get gone. But well, um, that's, that's true. And the U.S. has a has a more of a culture of national security. Absolutely. Than and that's a yeah. big point. That's a big point, guys, is that I, and I've complained about this for years. We have a piss poor intelligence culture here in Canada compared to their allies. We'll get to the implications of, of our relationship with the five wise. But uh, go ahead, Neil. I'm curious what you think about the sentence in general and how this whole thing sort of uh, played out. Well, you know, what really caught me, you know, when I was looking at uh, some of the comments that were made by Judge Merringer, you know, I'll, I'll just give you a couple of quotes here. So one of the quotes that Judge Merringer said was, or Merringer said was, our reputation among the Five Eyes parties, partners may never be the same. And then after he gets a sentence, he comes out and says, actions uh, uh, that uh, the sentence is fit and just. So I don't know how you reconcile those two things. You know, you're talking about the reputation of Canada being so impinged by this happening with our Five Eyes partners. And at the same time, you're saying, well, it's fit and just. And I'll just go back to the comment that Al made about them dropping those Section 16. It really makes me wonder if the reason why they dropped some of those was because the argument was being made by the defense when it comes to, okay, what can you, what can you actually talk about in this trial? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from a prosecutor's or the Crown's perspective, they could say, OK, listen, we don't want to get this all muddled into like, OK, this is top secret information. We can't right. talk about what our allies provided. We don't want to pull them in. And we all know, you know, from our own experiences that when you're dealing with a foreign intelligence agency, another five eye partner and they're providing new information that's coming with some caveats. And a lot of that has to do with this will not be discussed or exposed in any exactly. sort of Exactly, right? exactly. So we've got you know, to look this... at this. It's almost like a good, it was probably a good call, I would say, on the Crown's side to say, okay, we're not going to play with that stuff. But this all comes back to the judge making that decision. Whether or not he got, you know, all of the SOIA that they dropped a couple of the charges on, everything else he was found guilty on. And the whole red herring bullcrap that he threw out about Oh, well, I was doing this on some super secret mission. Like, <laughs> yeah. That only I had clearance for, yeah. Exactly. That was a good you know, one. Like, I wish I'd have thought of that. Exactly. You know, could you imagine if Aldrich Ames got caught and he said, no, 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 I was on a super secret mission to try to figure out who the, you know. Who that the even guy. the director of the CIA didn't know about. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so yeah. I'm just glad that they didn't fall for that. But it, it does really make me think also to what you said, Phil, was the culture here in Canada when it comes to our national security, you know, even – even those in the court system can't get it straight. You know, for one minute, they're saying, oh, my God, this has such an impact on what's happening. And then the next minute, they're saying, well, I'm going to give you 14, you get seven served. And then who knows, yeah. maybe you'll see another seven years. It's it's almost like these don't match up. Yeah. OK, I, I got to pick up on that. And, 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 you know, this is really important because you guys know as well as I do that we in Canada, uh, we do well. I think, you know, we have punched above our weight historically. I don't know that we do now, but we've both been out of business for a while. But we are net importers of intelligence. We get a hell of a lot more of intelligence from our allies than we give back to them. So as you said, Neil, we get intelligence from the Five Eyes on the condition that we're going to protect it. We're not going to, you know, post it on X or Facebook or WhatsApp, whatever that it'll be uh, safeguarded, that it'll be shared only with people with a need to know and, and the equivalent security clearance. Now, I haven't heard any reaction. Maybe you guys have read something somewhere about what some of the allies have weighed in on this particular case. 
But how, and I, I've heard other people say that, you know, that, like I said, I think one of you said it, you know, the damage to our relationship with our allies is hard to measure right now because of what just happened. Mind you, the Americans, you know, they can't point their fingers because you look at Snowden, right? Which basically gave away the, the keys to the company at NSA. And, and you know, they have to atone for that kind of thing. How, how bad do you think this could be for our relationships? Because I'm hearing rumors from some allies that people are asking some questions about us here in, in, the, in the Great White North about our lack of intelligence culture uh, and about, you know, whether we're pulling our weight uh, and whether or not um, we're doing what we should do. So it, it, is this over-exaggerated or do you think there's something there, guys? Oh, I think there's something there, of course. Uh, we're hearing it from the, the foreign interference inquiry uh, revelations, right? Uh, not that the inquiries uh, revealed anything. It's uh, the journalists like Sam Cooper yeah. And, yeah. and and Fife and these guys. Yeah, Fife I mean, and they're, yeah. I mean, the, the Allies have to be taking a look at that, and I'm sure they have, and have probably made representations to, to uh, you know, you've got to... Uh, you got to tighten up here, guys. In fact, in uh, in the book um, "The Mosaic Effect," uh, they, they talk about a CIA uh, case. Uh, I think it was called Dragon Lord Project Dragon Lord, uh, in which they did the brief and it was presented to the Canadian government. And it's basically on the, the Chinese intelligence uh, operations and foreign interference uh, using triads and, uh, and business tycoons to further uh, the Communist Party's uh, objectives in Canada. So the Ally, if that's been brought up by the Allies, then they've got to be taking a look at this. And, and you know, it's just another... It's another shot that we've we've got, and this isn't the first time. I, I mean, uh, recently, uh, I think it was 2019, something like that. It was uh, in Hamilton where we're, there was a Chinese guy named um, Huang, I think, uh, who was uh, charged with uh, spying for China. Uh, he was uh, picked up, uh, according to the media reporting. He was and court reporting was picked up uh, by. Uh, intercepts uh, talking to or offering uh, to spy on behalf of uh, China. Uh, he was made a call into the uh, embassy. And um, after being after criminal investigation by the RCMP, he was charged. The defense uh, made the request uh, to peel back the onion into the CSIS affidavits. Uh, as to the information that led to the any intercept uh, at the Chinese embassy. So to err on the side of caution, uh, the uh, Crown dropped the charges. Uh, and that was, uh, he, was, he offered information up on our uh, maritime uh, security strategy and shipbuilding. Right. So, I mean, this isn't the first time. And now okay. we've got an, another one, a new one in uh, in Quebec. Uh, yeah, the Hydro Quebec guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that trial. Okay, you know, what's me... interesting. It's, sorry, I don't mean to jump in. Go ahead, Neil. Go ahead. It's uh, it's it's interesting because we look at this even historically. You know, you go back to uh, Igor Gozenko, and yeah. we talk about how you know he basically walked into the RCMP like on regular, like a couple of times before anybody started to take him seriously. Yeah. And it almost shows like from the very inception that Canada has a hard time wrapping its head around 
oh, well, we're nice people. Everybody likes us and we like everybody else. So we can just all get along. And, you know, you've got a guy like Igor Gazanko who's saying, uh, wait a minute, the Russian embassy is using guys like me to try to find information. And everyone's like, on what? It's like, well, the Manhattan Project. Oh, well, that could be important. Like, the problem is we look internally so often to see what the threats are inside that we don't realize we are beside, we share a shared border, yeah, you know, yeah. a porous border with the most powerful country in the world. Yeah. And if they're looking to us, and I'm not saying that we are, we do our jobs well, but at the same time, you can see how there's some concern as to, okay, we're sharing everything with you guys, but how much are you looking at the people that you should be looking at? Yeah, we all exactly. work for the, an organization that is, highly secretive. It's yep. top secret information on a day-to-day yep. basis. And those individuals who acquire positions higher up the, the food chain, I mean, no one really ever questions what they're looking at or why they're doing what they're doing, right? Like, I don't ever remember questioning any of my superiors as to what they wanted for information or what they were looking at. Yep. And I'm not saying it doesn't get done, but this the Cameron Ortis um, trial and you know the revelations that are coming out of this I think it's a call to action to say, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're the director. I don't care if you're mid-level. I don't care if you're, someone's got to look at you randomly, irregularly yep. to make sure that there's nothing here. I mean, with, with Ortis, they wouldn't have even gotten this guy if they hadn't actually got their hands on the computer that one of the criminal dudes were dealing yep. with. Yep, and exactly. now they're like, hey, wait a minute, he's in contact with one of our guys. What the hell's going on here? Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point, Neil. I, I, I want to bring it back to the allies, guys. Now, you know as well as I do. So the Five Eyes is a big deal. You know, so the, the Anglo partners, it's pretty well been since the end of the Second World War. We've had this alliance. I, I call it the gold standard of intelligence sharing. I mean, when I worked in SIGINT, there's some incredibly sensitive files that were being shared back and forth. So it was even, even above top secret. I mean, I used to work on files where like maybe 10 people in the entire country knew about this stuff. That's how sensitive the intelligence was. But are there other allies we work with? So the, for our listeners' sake, there's something called Section 17 under the CSIS Act, which allows CSIS to essentially uh, enter into a sharing relationship with a, a government or a foreign state, uh, as long as it gets the approval of the Minister of Public Safety and in consultation with the Minister of Foreign Affairs. So the five eyes becomes the 200 eyes, right? And you guys both know that depending on the file, you might get equally, if not more important, intelligence from a non-Five Eyes partner than our traditional Five Eyes, depending on, on cases. And we've, you guys, have, we've worked on bilateral cases all the time kind of thing. Do you think that uh, an issue like this with Mr. Ortis' uh, disclosure, and I don't know if he if he shared anything beyond the Five Eyes. I, I kind of doubt it. But I don't know. The RCMP, I'm sure, has a similar mechanism. You would know more than I would, Al, where the RCMP can enter into a Section 17-like arrangement with foreign partners. But do you think anybody else is out there saying, um, is Canada got its shit together or should we start worrying about this? I think well, anytime, sorry, yeah. go ahead, Al. You go well, ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, I'm sure other, uh, other friendly services are, are scratching their head. <laughs> I know if I was uh, running a, a service overseas, uh, I'd be scratching my head on that. I'd want some, probably some assurances from the Canadians. But uh, information was being uh, right. being protected, right? I mean, you know, one thing we got to consider. Sorry, one thing we got to consider here too, guys, is that each one of the five eyes at one point or another has had an insider threat. Absolutely. You know, this 100%. is not new. It's part no. of the business, right? That's the only right. thing that makes this one a little bit different is that instead of being compromised on an intelligence level, this had a little bit more of a criminal spin to it. Yes, it did. Yeah. 
But at the same time, you know, we, we've seen this before. This is typically what happens is that when it comes to the insider threat, you know, somebody who's in a position of um, access to information ends up getting compromised or, you know, like in the case of Aldrich Games, they, they walk across, they say, I need some money, here's yeah. some stuff. And then the next, next thing you know, they've been uh, run by a foreign intelligence organization, or in this case, I guess it'd be a criminal organization. And they're basically just, you know, giving out the keys to the kingdom. So, yeah. I mean, this is not new. This is part and parcel of the intelligence business. But I think what made this one so shocking is that it's just, well, this guy's getting a hold. He is proactively getting in, in contact with these criminal elements and telling them what to do and what not to do. And, and once it gets to that point, like, we don't know where it goes from there. Like, who's to say that this criminal element is not sharing it with, you know, anyone else for profit? So like you've got investigations, international, tr you know, trans national criminal organizations that have access to this information yep, and they're doing everything they can to avoid getting caught. And it's hard yep. enough for, you know, uh, national police forces to try to work together to get this stuff figured out. And now you've got someone like Cameron Ortiz in, the, in, in this whole mix. And it just, it, it talks about betrayal at such a high level. Yeah, 100%. Well, and it's not just the criminal. You're, you're absolutely right, Neil. I, this this is a, a, a convergence of, of the criminal uh, networks with intelligence services. And as you know, an intelligence service will use anyone. So yep. they will use the criminal networks if it yep. furthers their uh, goals and objectives. Oh, for sure. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, this... Although Ortis was uh, was offering this stuff up to the the criminal side, he was on a on a trajectory to pass it to uh, a foreign government, and that would be just the start of it. And once once that's done, rather than a, the criminals running them, I think we would have seen a more sophisticated uh, espionage operation underway that may not have been caught uh, till till even more damage was done. Exactly. So at least he was caught through the criminal investigation side. Okay, but so let, 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 let's let's bring this to a close. But I just want to comment, Alan, your, your point about, you know, the fact that when you work in security, intelligence, law enforcement, you're dealing with some unsavory characters. There's a former, uh, you know, deputy uh, director of the service who shall remain, remain nameless, but whose last name rhymes with Cooper, who once famously said, sometimes you, you have to take the ugly date to the dance, right? Some, you, you know, when you're dealing with terrorist groups or spies, you can't, you, the girl guys in Boy Scouts aren't your best sources. You've got to deal with some pretty nasty people. And you know this, Al, from your work on the far right in the 1990s, 1980s kind of thing. Okay, um, you're right, Neil. Uh, all of our partners have had this happen to them. The Americans probably more so than others. All the Brits, the fam famous British cases in the 50s and 60s, people that went over the Soviet Union kind of thing. Yeah, we've all ha committed errors. We haven't caught people in time. That's okay. We can all claim that, but... The fact that the sentence in the end is appears, at least to the three of us and many other people, does not appear to be commensurate with the nature of the damage done to Canadian intelligence network, law enforcement, our relationship with our allies. Is that the main problem going forward? Is that people look at us and say, this guy did what? And you gave him what kind of sentence? How serious are you guys about national security? You know, I think that's, that's part of the problem for sure is the fact that if you don't put enough of a deterrent in there, then it makes it look like you're being soft on this type of a crime. And you can't be, you know, like the whole idea behind the SOIA is that you're dealing with people that are basically, they're, they're traitors. They're committing treason. Exactly. You know, like, Good point. It is anybody, No one else looks at that as that's, that's got to be one of the highest crimes against a country. 
Yep. So if you're just going to give someone a slap on the wrist when it comes to jail time, then it doesn't really match up. But the other thing that I think we need to talk about here really quickly is the fact that our intelligence organizations, the Canadian intelligence community is stretched thin. Very and thin. They, and they always happen because it's like we said before, Canada has not embraced intelligence culture as something that's a necessary thing for society. And it is. Yeah. And, you know, when you've got everyone running around looking at the threats outside of its own organization, you don't have enough resources. Yeah. Internal security. On the type of things that are happening within the organization. Yeah. Good point, Neil. You know? And this is where the, this has to change. This is where someone's got to, you know, shake their head and say, look, it, we're asking a very small number of people to do a very large job. And then when something goes wrong, we're, we're looking at them and saying, well, how come you guys didn't catch this? And it's like, if you want to start catching these types of things, you guys still start there? throwing the money and the resources I'm at here. it. And don't <laughs> treat it, it as if like, oh, okay, well, I guess this yeah, happened. So, we'll just uh, have to move on. I, I think uh, Neil's right. It's 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 a, a general cultural thing that, that we've always been protected by the big brother. We've never had to... Uh, really put much thought into national security or national defense. Um, and I'll still say it, it, it never, it never becomes an issue with the politicians until the Canadian public, the general public is directly affected by something. Yeah. Look at, look at just recently. Now we've, uh, the federal government holds a summit on the organized crime with, uh, stolen vehicles. Yes. Yep. Right. Well, stolen vehicle issue start is a, is in epidemic proportions right now. It's affecting the the general public. They and as people care, right now they care. Now the politicians care. Now they're yeah. going to try and do something about it. Yeah. It, same thing with national security. Until the uh, I'd say the bomb goes off, or we catch a spy ring yeah. uh, operating in here. Uh, there's and it becomes public there's not going to be uh, uh, much done. I mean, we still need a Foreign Agent Registration Act. That hasn't yep. happened. Which and we were promised, by a, the way. Well, we don't need an inquiry to tell us that we need it. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, they should bring that in now, right? Exactly. And and same with national defense. If there's, if, if there's no direct threat to the country, then everybody says, well, why do we need boats? Why do we need military? Why do they yeah, need why needs, state why of the should art? We why should we spend our two percent NATO floor on defense? Right, we have the Americans side; they'll take care of us. Well, that's that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's right. And it's but there are other priorities in the government, right? Uh, like for the amount of money that the the government has is finite. Yeah. So it's like, all right, where do you put where do you put the priorities? And I think we've left national security, national defense, and public safety at the bottom of the list for too long. Well, there is a real positive uh, note to end on, Al. Thank you very much. So um, last thoughts, guys. So it sounds like we're in agreement. Uh, So, Neil, thumbs up or thumbs down on Mr. Ortiz's seven years, 155 days in jail? Okay. Yeah, good point. Al? Completely agree with uh, Neil. It's, okay. uh, yeah, it's the thumbs up that it's actually uh, shown to work. 
the thumbs down for uh, for the amount of time because don't forget he'll be eligible for parole before that. Uh, seven oh yeah, years. yeah, typically in Canada. Well, I'm not going to go against the grain against two you know wise old wise guys like you. I'm going to say the same thing: is that it's it's an important test of the act. This by the way, this was the first time the act was, I believe, if correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. The act was tested in court before a jury. That hadn't happened before in Canadian history. So this is a good thing. Anyhow, listen, guys, um, I think it was was a a very interesting first conversation on national security issues uh, that had to do with uh, leaking information, how nations treat. And I use the term really, and I agree with you, uh, Neil, this guy, he is a traitor. He did commit treason. Let's, let's remember, guys, in a lot of countries, you could found guilty of treason. Um, there's a bullet in the back of your head. It's not seven years on every five days in jail. Not that I'm advocating capital punishment. I'm just saying kind of thing. But yeah, so that's that's the end of our, our, our first podcast, Spies Like Us. And uh, we'll be with you again really, really soon on a different topic. We'd love to hear what you think about us. So when, when this gets posted to social media, give us a, give us a thumbs up, hopefully. Um, provide us some feedback, maybe some ideas for, for other future podcasts. And uh, any last thoughts, guys, before we sign off? No, I think this has been great. Yeah, go ahead, Neil. Listen and be, and you can be involved. Send us uh, send us comments or things that you want us to talk about. And uh, yeah, absolutely. What you're going to get is three guys in a bar. You're going to not get the party line. You're going to get the uh, straight goods. Although maybe there will be a party at some point in a future podcast. If if someone would would fork out for the beer at some point, that wouldn't be a bad <laughs> idea. Okay, uh, listen, Darcy, guys. Darcy McGee's in Ottawa. Sounds like a plan to me. And what a better bar to choose. The, you know, the, the, the site of the first assassination, the first act of terrorism in Canadian history, as I discussed in my most recent brilliant book, The Peaceable Kingdom. Guys, it's been a real pleasure. And we'll talk again soon. And to all of you out in, uh, in Lister land and TV land, I guess I can't use that phrase anymore, in uh, internet land, we'll talk again soon. Take care. <laughs>